Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Clausen, and today I sit down with Rebecca Baroki of Beck's Life. Sapphire training helps the on-the-go woman feel more energetic, find her inner peace, and become more powerful by creating a fitness lifestyle she loves. So a little background on Rebecca, aka Bex. She's the founder of Bex Life and the Blissed in Wellness Movement. She's the mother of five, a TV host, meditation guide, author, speaker, birth doula, fitness and yoga instructor, and a popular social media personality. She also travels extensively, sharing her love for yoga, wellness, and meditation at exclusive workshops, luxury retreats, and public events. Her first book, You Have Four Minutes to Change Your Life, was released by Hay House in February 2017. So for more information, you can always visit bexlife.com book. I actually just pre-ordered the book myself, so I'm looking forward to diving into that. So it's got uh, 27 meditations that you can kind of go through, as well as her story interweaved throughout the book. Um, and really, if you're looking to start a meditation practice or understand why meditation might be something that you can add to your life, uh, she really goes into detail in today's interview about that. So I'm super looking forward to you guys hearing today's interview with Bex. So without further ado, welcome to the Peaceful Power podcast. Today I have on Bex from Bex Life. Thank you so much for coming on today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yes. So I kind of want to know a little bit more about your background because um, I know you started into fitness and mm -hmm. now you've kind of evolved into yoga and meditation. How did that kind of evolution take place and what brought you into kind of more the meditation space now, or has that been something you've always done? Well, the truth is, is that meditation has been always been a part of my life. I started uh, meditating at 15 years old daily after discovering the book Be Here Now by Ram Das, who I love. And it was really just an evolution from a prayer practice that I always had as a child. I was raised in a fairly religious household where um, you know, spirituality was a center of our lives. And the meditation thing, though, was very personal for me. So when I started my my job online, it was um, through fitness. And I thought that that was something that would be uh, more palatable for people, people would be more excited about. And it was certainly something that I was more excited about at that point in my life. And the meditation thing, as far as a job goes, only came about after I had my TV show, Got Zen, and they wanted me to, um, they, I was hosting a show about meditation and yoga. And so my meditation practice, my short meditation practice kind of like came out in the spotlight. So I was like, all right, let me see if if my YouTube audience would jive with this. And they did. So here we are. I love that. So like, how long have you been kind of in the industry or kind of around then? About how many years has that been? I posted my first video on YouTube, a workout video, which is still up, but please nobody watch it. Now everyone's <laughs> going to watch it. Like, please nobody watch it. Um, in December of 2009. So it's been seven plus years that I've okay. been doing this online thing. Very cool. And actually, fun fact, I found one of your, I think it was an ab video. And I mm. did that with some of the girls when I used to coach soccer because high school girls love working with their abs. And so I was like, all right, let's try this. And so they all loved it. Oh, no. What was I wearing? What was I saying? <laughs> I don't remember. It was like a really cool style of training. So they all were, they loved it. <laughs> I had a lot of fun with those videos. YouTube is definitely my home away from home. So oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> So I know now your meditation practice, maybe it looks the same or maybe different, you know, because if anyone doesn't know, she has uh, five kiddos. So mm -hmm. how has that kind of evolved? Because I know I used to do like a 15 minute meditation practice or 20 and working towards 30. And then I had my son and I'm like five minutes, hopefully I can get in before he wakes up. So how, what does that look like for you now? 
my meditation practice is very much a what I can, when I can scenario. And I, you know, the four minute practice was born because I was always, I was taught to check in with myself throughout the day. And I wasn't really calling it meditation. I was taught by a therapist that I went to for anxiety um, when I was a young child, 11 years old. And he really encouraged me to just connect with myself, check in with my breath. And what I didn't realize was meditation actually was, and it became in my practice to just have this constant transitional practice in between activities. When I was feeling overwhelmed, when I was around too much chaos, I would just check out for a little bit and take a couple minutes to count my breaths, to check in, to maybe say a positive affirmation. Uh, since then, because I've been doing it daily um, since, oh gosh, I've been 15, so it's almost 24 years. That is so ridiculous to say. That, that actually hurts to say a little bit. So, oh my gosh, people are driving and were not born when I started my meditation practice, or drinking even. So anyway, um, it has evolved. So I, I do have a practice where sometimes I will go to a guided meditation with um, a friend, a guru, a teacher of mine and sit for two hours. Um, or sometimes I will take an hour to just sit by myself and get into a, re a really deep meditative state. But that's certainly not anything that anyone needs to be able to manage uh, their daily you know, stress. It's just something that my practice has evolved into. But the four minute meditation, the short meditations are my touchstone. It's what I go to every single day, reliably, several times a day to um to deal with those five kids that <laughs> that sometimes torture my life. I love them. I love them, but sometimes they torture me. Oh, yes. I know I think I saw a little video of you and you were in your car and you're just like relaxing there and just being like yes. this is a time to do it and I can relate mm -hmm. to that cuz I still do a little bit of in-home personal training and you know taking that time in between even clients just to kind of chill out before I go in and come home and you know, all of life's demands are placed upon you. So I love Absolutely. that. Absolutely. People are very aware of the physical energy it takes to do a certain activity. So say train a client or go grocery shopping or take care of your kids. We're very aware of that physicality, but we don't pay enough attention to the energetic, the, the emotional energetic exchange that happens when we're dealing with people at work, in public, whatever, dealing with our kids. And if I don't take time to recharge before I teach a class or I work with a client, or even if I do this, like I do a podcast after this, I'm going to take five or 10 minutes and just be with myself before I go downstairs and return to my family. So it's, it's really important to always acknowledge the, the emotional, the mental energy that we're putting out as well. And to recharge that. Mm. I, yeah, I actually just had a client uh, this week who you know, during our session, she was like, oh my gosh, I've never broken down before, but she kind of just realized I did not regroup or recharge after she was at an event all weekend long where she had to be on. And she was like, I usually take the day off, but I chose to be around, um, you know, her boyfriend at the time. And she's like, that was a big no, no. Cause now I'm paying for it this entire week because she didn't get that time to kind of regroup. So, I mean, exactly. I told her, I told her work on that, like energy shields. Cause I'm a I have to do that, you know, when I go in to work with clients is just kind of put that energy shield up. So I'm not going to absorb everything from, you know, what people are putting out there. Absolutely. No, I love that. I love that idea of protecting yourself energetically before you even start your day. And it doesn't have to be like a weird ritual or anything. Yes. You know? It could just be that, that time that says that, or that time it takes to say, you know, I'm about to enter my day. I want to be of proper service to everyone around me. And I also want to protect my energy so that I can serve myself better 
And just saying that kind of acknowledges uh, to yourself that you are a person worthy of protection and care and softness. Mm. And um, it, it, it makes the day a little bit easier. You, don't, you really don't absorb so much. You really don't take on so much burden, especially burden that's not yours to take on. Yes. Oh, because that's, that's so true. Um, so I know, you know, there's a lot of people that I kind of talk to and they, you know, I work with a lot of moms in particular who might struggle trying to find the time for a meditation practice. So mm. what are some kind of tips that you give for people, you know, like, as we said in between in the car, but you know, what are some other things that, you know, maybe they don't see the benefits of it quite yet? Well, this is where I get a little tough love yeah. because I, it. I love it. <laughs> there's, there's that saying, you know, if you don't have 20 minutes to meditate, you need to take an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to be that extreme, <laughs> but if you, my good friend, Michael Perrine, who happens to also be my nutritional guru, and I've been friends with him for 20 years, I adore him. He, I was interviewing him about his self-care practice and he said, self-care is a non-negotiable for for successful, happy people. Mm-hmm. And that really stuck with me. Like, it's just one of those things. Like if you want success, if, and I mean success in your relationships, not just your finances, anything that you do, if you want to feel happy, self-care is an essential part of that. It's an ingredient that can't be missed. So if you don't have time, you have to find it. And there are like, look, I have a business. I wrote a book. I have my husband's business. He works from home with me and he takes a lot of energy out of my day and a lot of care and attention. And I have these five children and somehow I find the time to meditate and also watch copious amounts of Real Housewives and West Wing. So if I can find the time to do this, you surely can. And we really have to examine our priorities. I mean, to get real, it's, it's that we have a whole list of things that we do every single day. And it's time to sort it out and say, these are my priorities and pay attention to those. Certainly your kids are a priority. Certainly your job's a priority, but maybe... I don't know, maybe not watching that dumb TV show that really doesn't do anything for you isn't a great priority. Or maybe watch the TV show, but take, we don't have commercial breaks anymore because everyone does this like the Netflix Hulu thing, but maybe you make a commercial break. Maybe you take four minutes at the beginning or the end or in the middle and just say, okay, this is going to be my time that I just connect with myself. Mm. And it works. Yes. No, I love, I love that. And I, I'm kind of the same way too. When people talk about kind of fitness, they're like, Oh, I don't have time. I'm like, no, we're just not prioritizing it yet. Mm -hmm. Like you will find time if you find it important in your life. So I like that you say that. And I know that, you know, you're obviously you have a ton of stuff going on and you can make the time. And, um, I think that's kind of a lesson just for anyone is, okay, well, what is important to my life and just kind of time blocking and seeing where am I spending my time? If you're struggling to find that. Right. So, you know, being like, oh, I am watching like three hours of TV every night. And I, you maybe just mindlessly watch it and didn't realize that that's how much you were spending doing something that was not progressing your life. Right. Exactly. And I'm not saying that all your hours have to be spent, you know, in personal development or doing something that's so nourishing because my zone out time with West Wing is very nourishing for me. Like that makes me feel super good. Sometimes I fantasize that that's our real government and I get happy, but, but it's, the time and connection is what allows me to sort through all the other stressful stuff that happens during the day. So it's not even a, it's not even a self-indulgent activity where I'm just trying to find myself. It really allows me to connect with my intention for the day, to connect with my purpose, to connect with the way I want to serve. I don't live my life to meditate. I meditate so I can live my life. I love my life. I want to be in it. I'm not trying to escape it, but it does take some management. It does take some stress, stress management because even happy stuff, 
which is something very important for people to acknowledge. Even happy stuff causes us physical, emotional, and mental stress. Mm. So yes. we get, yeah, we got to protect ourselves before we wreck, we wreck ourselves. <laughs> totally. Uh, can you go more on the stress management? Like what else have you seen from your own meditation practice in terms of managing your stress? I am very quick. I'm, I'm a person who's naturally anxious and I'm a person who also has tendencies um, to develop symptoms of depression. And I'm very quick to get very hot and I'm very quick to get very low. And what meditation has done for me is allowed me to observe when I'm making that transition, when I'm going from zero to 60. Mm. And so instead of just, you know, instead of the zero to 60, I can maybe start managing it around like the 15, 25, 45 mark and slow it down a bit. I start to understand the triggers and I see them. I recognize them. I see the behaviors that I engage in, you know, clenching my jaw, clenching my fists. I feel my heartbeat raising. I feel my breath either quickening or I hold my breath. So meditation, that awareness, that mindfulness that I've developed with this practice, I see it happening and then I'm able to get in before it gets bad. Mm. So when I'm holding my breath and this, and this is like a five second meditation and it happens often throughout my day where I'll get nervous about something and I'll, and I'll notice that I'm not breathing. Mm -hmm. And then I'll just say to myself, breathe, breathe breathe. And I'm just repeating it and then paying attention to those inhales and exhales, not trying to change them, but just allowing them to actually happen. So they could be fast. They could be slow. It doesn't matter. But as long as I'm breathing, then I'm doing something. And then that conscious um, thought process, or even saying it out loud with a whisper that, you know, inhale, exhale, or release, peace, release, peace, saying that brings my attention toward that and away from all the other stuff that's overwhelming me. Mm. Yes. I'm actually wearing a sweatshirt right now that says just breathe on it. <laughs> it's like, an important reminder. <laughs> yes, I know. Cause I'm kind of the same way. I am like, I study a little bit of Ayurveda. And so I like, I'm very Pitta, which you can be sharp tongue. And I try to be like, okay, nope. Why am I going off the deep end? Mm -hmm. so I'm kind of that same way as I have to be conscious of that. <laughs> so I know that, you know, anxiety and depression were something that you've dealt with in the past. Mm -hmm. So how did you kind of work through your anxiety and how do you keep it from kind of rearing up on a daily basis? Um, well, at first I did a very bad job of it, you know, for people <laughs> and, and to be, you know, just to be serious for a moment. It's something that I think, um, uh, for me, it's almost in me on a cellular level. My, the first time that I was hospitalized because it got that bad for anxiety and outbursts, I was only eight years old. And I was put on medication. They started me on lithium, which is a very wow. serious drug, even for adults, um, something that's not really prescribed for kids anymore at all. Uh, so that was my first real experience with being out of control of myself. And that progressed to living in group homes, being suicidal, being in and out of therapy for many, many years. So for a good portion of my life, I was not dealing with it well at all. I was searching a lot for answers. And it was in adulthood that um, I, was, I was about 28 years old. I was going through a divorce from my first husband. And I went to my general practitioner practitioner. And I told her that, you know, I thought that I was slipping back into depression and I didn't know what to do. And she immediately wanted to prescribe antidepressants. And, and while these work for a lot of people, I had already had my experiences and knew that it wasn't something that I wanted to do. And it was also, um, not a relationship that I felt was strong enough to be prescribing these, these drugs to me. Like she wasn't my therapist and she really didn't know me well. 
So I furiously started searching on the internet for ways to manage. I already had my meditation practice, but it was something that um, my spiritual uh, journey I had, I had kind of been disconnected from. So I wasn't using it as much or in a way that was helpful towards me. It was more escapism rather than, you know, looking like being introspective and looking at myself. Mm. So I started looking around the internet and um, I had never worked out a day in my life. I'm not athletic. I played lots of sports and all the kids wished I didn't ever join the team. because I was so bad at all of them. I was a terrible, terrible <laughs> basketball player, even though I'm six feet tall. But, um, I joined a gym. And I found fitness and I found weight training and I fell in love. I was so excited by it, so excited about the changes that were happening in my body, but also in my, in my emotional health, in the way to manage my stress. I saw, and then it was like really about getting aggression out. I was very angry. I was going through a very hard divorce. Um, and but that was my gateway back to a meditation practice, back to mindfulness, back to that mind-body connection that I had, I had lost. So that's been, since then, you know, movement, the way that I eat, and of course my meditation practice and connecting with myself every day is the way that I manage, you know, all the everyday stuff. Mm. It comes back, like I, like I said, I tend towards anxiety. I tend to be a high strung, high energy person, but those are things that I also like about myself. You know, like it's part of my personality. So I'm really not trying to cure myself of anything. I'm just trying to find a way for me to live in this world. And that's what meditation does for me and all the other ways I take care of myself. Yeah. So you said, you know, movement, is that something that you're still doing, you know, every day then now to kind of help with anxiety as well? Is this a test? Because- <laughs> I can tell you, I will admit that I haven't been to the gym on a regular basis in like three years. Ah. However, however, I am because it's, it's just, it became such a big part of my life and I crave movement so much. I'm an active person. So I love to be outside. I love to move around. I can't stay still for long. I don't sit at a desk for, for hours and hours. Um, I like to lift things. I like to push and pull things. So my body isn't, you know, at its peak shape that it was, you know, maybe just a few years ago. However, I feel more comfortable and more vibrant and more energized because I have, I think, taken away the element of stress that I had to look or be or feel a certain way. So now it's just like, how do I want to move today? And it could be a hike, it could be a walk, it could be a light jog. Um, but I get it in. Yeah, I feel like working out is one thing and exercise is another and exercise mm-hmm. is something that people need to do every single day of their lives and you will have a long, amazing life. Um, and working out is to achieve certain results. And because I feel like I'm where I want to be, um, the workouts aren't so heavy anymore. I like that distinction between the exercise and working out. Cause that's, you know, I definitely fall with in the exercise camp, you know, in terms with clients, I read a book that totally transformed my thoughts on, you know, workouts last year, it was no sweat by Michelle Seeger. And it was, you know, basically is what you're talking about is just adding movement to your day, you know, gardening, that's movement. That is, you know, that can be your exercise slash workout, you know, just kind of rethinking what that means to you. So I like that you said that and, you know, given examples. I also want to touch a little bit on what you had said about, you know, being comfortable with your, you know, in your body right now. Do you think that comes with age? Cause I'm finding the same thing as I'm getting older. I'm like, Oh, I'm more comfortable with me. 
I think that with age sometimes comes experience and wisdom. I don't think age necessarily gets you there because I deal with a lot of women um, that are much older than I who struggle with body image and acceptance. I think it's really about um, the ex the experiences of maybe, I mean, my mantra basically for life and everything that's scary is do the thing, don't die, do it again, like repeat. Um, <laughs> So for me, it's like, maybe I don't work out for a little while and I let myself get a little bit soft and I didn't die and my husband still likes me. And, you know, <laughs> so that's, that's a plus. And, uh, and, you know, my friends still want to hang out with me and my business is still, still successful. So when all those catastrophic things that I thought might happen if I wasn't, you know, the perfect image of health and fitness didn't happen, that was kind of like the don't die. And then I just repeat. And then I also check in with how I feel. So for me, um, there's a lot of different factors that go into to feeling the way uh, that I do about myself. Um, when I was a very little girl, my mother, and you don't have to be religious, you don't have to believe in God to like kind of absorb this statement and the spirit of the statement, but she told me that God loves me as is. Mm -hmm. And when I knew that I was supported, accepted, and loved just as I showed up every single day, um, and I really believed that because she told me when I was very little. So that was something that really stuck with me. Um, even in the times that I was being hard on myself, I knew like that being hard on myself wasn't the right way, like that, that it was kind of foolish. Um, it was, um, so that's something that supports me. Having a loving relationship supports me. Like, it's nice to be told that I'm beautiful every day. Like that feels good. And I don't, I don't think it's superficial because I like the guy. So I honor his, <laughs> his opinions. And, um, and then, you know, showing up in the world in service is also something that makes me feel really good about myself because that's something separate from my looks or my appearance. Like when people are doing my meditations, they don't care how I look. I hope their eyes are closed actually. <laughs> and they, <laughs> you know, and like this talk right now, like we're doing a podcast and I hope that people can receive my message and it be separate from my, my physical shell. So all of these things, you know, happening good for me in my life from a place that is not about the way that I look, allow, support the idea that, you know, the way that I look is okay. And, um, and it isn't bad. I mean, like I, I, I feel pretty cute. So it's, it's all good. <laughs> uh, so is this something that you modeled in, you know, for your daughters? It's like, how do you kind of put that image out there for them? Or is it just kind of, this is who you are and they just pick up on that? Yeah. My favorite quote of all time. And I repeat it often. And I, I think it's like on the about page of my website is uh, my father did not teach me how to live. He lived and let me watch him do it. Mm -hmm. And that is my mantra for parenting, for business, for just the way I show up in the world. And, you know, my daughters, now my daughters, I have three of them are 19, almost six and, and two. So you know, they run the gamut of age. Um, my oldest, we definitely have conversations about sex and sexuality and the way that we look and um, misogyny and feminism and like the patriarchy. We have all those conversations. <laughs> but the most important one is that, you know, if I'm not right with myself, no one's going to be right with me. You know, if I don't feel good about myself, then it's going to be really hard for people to feel good about me. And we have to teach other people how to treat us and how to love us and how to see us. So if I'm walking around saying that, you know, I'm not, I'm too fat or I'm not pretty enough or I'm not smart enough or whatever, people are going to see that first, whether they believe it or not. Like that's what I'm putting out there. So 
I'm always the first one to give myself a compliment. I'm always going to be the first one to say like, I'm killing it today. You know, not in an obnoxious way, but just acknowledging what I'm actually doing. And, and I see her doing that too. I'm super proud of her. She's a, she's like, she's in college now. She's, she's, she's extremely comfortable and very in control of her own image and how she allows people to talk about her and to her. And then with the six-year-old or almost six-year-old, it's, a conversation about, you know, who she is, is okay. So right now she's dealing with, she likes um, quote unquote boy things. I hate that even <laughs> saying that, but you know, she loves her Ninja Turtles and she wears all black and she wants her hair short and all that stuff. And, and it's like, that's cool. You know? And, and I can see that there's like pushback from her peers. They're starting to notice mm. like, Oh, summer might like boy things while we like girl things or whatever. And she sees that. And it's like, but the conversation is okay. So they like a different thing and that's fine. And you like your thing and that's fine. And what's important is, is that you like summer, like you like who you are outside of all those things. And I really, and I, and I tell her things like, I really dig you. I think you're a really cool person. I think you're a lot of fun. I love watching you play. I love hearing stories about dinosaurs. Tell me more. So it's just that kind of encouragement to, um, support how they show up in the world. And uh, I don't know if I'm doing it right. I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I guess you never know if you're parenting right. But um, so far, I like my kids and I like how they're turning out. So oh, I love that. And I can't, wow, I already at six, you know, like just that, you know, people are already noticing, oh, this is what's going on. Oh, that's crazy. Since my son's only one, I haven't experienced any of that yet because it's too little, but... People have a lot of opinions and they love to share them, which is great. And that's another part. It's like of, of acceptance of self is acceptance of other people and their stuff. So instead of always trying to fight or change people's minds, it's just be who you are and be it very big and out loud always. And even if you're an introvert, be a really big out loud introvert. Like say like, I'm a highly sensitive person who likes peace and quiet. Stay away from me. Like that's okay too. And through that, it allows other people to be who they are with more ease. And then they stop being so critical of you. I get very little criticism on social media. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think it's because I have kind of, and I have lots of heated discussions. I love that. I love controversy. I love having those like hard talks, but people are, don't really attack me because I think that I don't give them permission to. Mm. because I really like who I am. And if you said something to me, it would really be a waste of your time if you said something critical or mean. So, mm. yeah. That's <laughs> so interesting. Like with, um, you know, like just the judgment, I think is sometimes the tough part for people to get over, especially um, like I was having this discussion earlier today about like being a new mom and being like, oh, I just feel like they're, I can't talk about some of the things because you're like going to get judged for being, you know, too good or too bad. And, you know, how did you kind of walk that line then of wanting to show this is what I do and, you know, just being like, just take it or leave it. Like, how do people get over that fear of the judgment? Well, or do you, <laughs> I, you do, you do. I look, I thank God every single day that I had children before social media was a thing. You know, I started having children and it was like, I was in a happy bubble with only the people who really loved and cared about me giving me advice. So it was my mom and my sisters and, and my girlfriends. And so that made it a lot easier to feel empowered and to feel like I was doing the right thing. But with the whole judgment thing, and I really, it, it, it's going to be really corny. I'm going to give you a corny cliche to answer, but that's how I live. <laughs> At the end of the day, at the end of my life, 
will their opinions pay my bills? Will they tuck my children in at night? Will they hold me or comfort me when I'm sad? Will they give me that thunder hug when I'm feeling anxious? <laughs> I love my thunder hugs. <laughs> so our, you know, what does it really mean? What is the value that I can, the, the actual value I can place on other people's opinions? And sometimes, sometimes, especially if it's my audience, my work audience, and, and people have this big shared opinion, and I'll listen, I'll consider it and go, okay, maybe... Maybe I need to listen to that harder. Maybe I do need to create a change or look at myself in a different way, make a different decision to serve them better so that I can pay my bills, you know, so that I can put food on my table. But 99% of the time, other people's opinions really don't add up to much in my life. And it's really important for me to put stock in the people who I respect, put stock in the opinions of people who I really respect and admire. And if you're, if you're caving to criticism of people who, and this is happens most often, I think people get criticized by strangers on the internet or people that they don't even hold the same values or opinions. So it's like, you don't even like that person, but you're worrying about them not liking you. Mm. That doesn't make any sense. So totally. it, it, I'm very left-brained, even though I'm a meditation guide and I, <laughs> I love art and all that. I'm very left-brained and I'm like, how does this add up math-wise? This person I don't like who's saying something, they don't like me and that's bothering me, but I don't like them anyway. Or I had a really good day. I'm feeling really good. My kids are healthy. My bills are paid. My lights are on, but I'm worrying about this person saying I'm not a good mom. How does that add up? So it's like, you can't make one plus one equal four. You know, you have to really look at what's actually happening, the reality. And meditation helps me with that. When I'm feeling lost in the noise, I check in and I ask myself, what is actually happening now? Am I in danger? Am I a bad mom? Am mm -hmm. I fat? Am I a jerk? Sometimes I'm a jerk. But like I ask myself, like, what is actually happening in this moment? Because most of the time, all of my frustration, my worry, my anxiety is about stuff that either hasn't happened or would never happen because it's just a wild scenario that I've made up in my mind. Mm. Yes. And that's kind of what I was going to ask too, with the meditation practice with parents, then that kind of helps settle some of that down, you think? Oh, absolutely. It's like, you have to, it's about taking stock. For me, meditation, again, isn't about not thinking about anything. It's not about going up to a mountain and escaping your life. There went my South Jersey accent, going up on a mountain, <laughs> going up on a mountain and escaping your life. It's really about connecting to the moment, connecting to yourself as you are in the moment, checking in, asking yourself the important questions like, how is this in service to me? How can I be of more service? What is actually happening right now? What is in my control? What's out of my control? Oh, what's in my control is this? Then what steps can I take to actually make my situation better? Like it's just taking that time to be mindful about the reality because the reality when we really sit in the moment, like right now, all of us listening right now, no matter what's going on, if you're struggling with your bills or you're struggling with your health, right now in this moment, as you're listening, you're probably safe. You're probably, you probably have food to eat. Your lights are probably on. Like if you take stock of what's really happening and the goodness of the moment, you see how much power you have and how much safety you have to actually create change and to actually make good decisions. But we get wrapped up on what's going to happen. Mm. And that takes us out of our ability to think rationally. Mm. 
Yes. I, I used to do that all the time, probably in my twenties. Like I was always thinking, Oh, let's think ahead, think ahead rather than being like, no, what's going on right now. And let's tackle today rather than thinking 10 years from now. Yeah. And I didn't answer your question, but with parenting, (laughs) it's like with the kids, I mean, we could spend a lot of time worrying about our kids' futures or worrying about how we just yelled at them and how that's going to like make them go to therapy or like ruin their lives or whatever. And I can tell you from growing up in a very chaotic household where I dealt with poverty, I dealt with neglect, I dealt with abuse, that it wasn't just, it was never just one thing. When the overall spirit of a household is love and safety, no matter what, like you can yell at your kids and they're (laughs) going to be okay. And I've done it. Like, you know, we've had many of crazy moments, you know, through the 19 years of me being a parent and they all grew up to be decent, loving, awesome people because they knew that they were loved. I was always very honest and direct with them about what was happening in my own feelings, my own reactions to things. And they knew that they were safe. And those are the things that kids really need and crave, that they're loved and they're safe and that they're thought about and they're considered and that they're respected, which is super important. So at the end of the day, you know, mostly I have five kids. So usually three of them reliably are happy with me and two of them are kind of like annoyed. And I, you know, I take that tally, like three is better than, you know, it's more than half. And And I say, you know, are they healthy? Are they good people? Do they make good decisions for themselves? Then the big stuff like that, it doesn't matter if like I lost my temper at dinner because the kids were fighting over who was going to put the dishes away and who wasn't helping at all. So it really comes down to like the overall reality instead of the the minutia and the worry about stuff that hasn't happened yet, like therapy yet. Mm. yet. <laughs> uh, and if you have, maybe you had like someone else out there has had like a rough, you know, something in their childhood that's just kind of stuck with them since you've had a lot of stuff in your childhood. How do you kind of get past that? Or, you know, like if someone's just constantly stuck on this one thing, like how do you get past that one thing or maybe few things that they're just kind of can't get over in their lives? Oh, I was such a blamer. I loved to, and, and, you know, my parents earned a little bit of blame because they were, I, I love them. Um, they're past now. And I appreciate who they are people as people. And I've offered them a lot of forgiveness and myself a lot of forgiveness, but they were like bad parents. Like they just were, they just weren't good at it. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Because what happened to me does not have to define who I am for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And that is my message for people. You know, no matter who you are, where you are, where you're coming from, or what has happened to you, happiness is still there for you to attain it is something that you deserve. It is something that is so possible. And it's about making the choices now to not you know, push it aside or forget about it, but to say, yes, this happened, but it doesn't have to continue to define me. And it absolutely doesn't have to continue to uh, make my decisions for me. I'm in control now. I'm in control of this moment. So I take all of that abuse, neglect, poverty, all those experiences, all that heartache, all that trauma, really. And I go, okay, it happened. And I honor it. And I acknowledge it as being part of me. Right now, in this moment, I am the one at the helm. I'm the one making the decisions. And that sense of personal responsibility can be scary, but it is also so freeing to know that you can have your stuff and still be happy. You don't have to get rid of it to have peace. Yes, that is awesome. Um, so 
I kind of want to know now, since you do have a new book out, yeah. so it is called, you have four minutes to change your life for all of you out there listening. I actually just pre-ordered mine, so I cannot wait Thank to get you. it. Yes. Uh, so can you tell us a little about what is this book about and who it's for? It's for everybody. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's, um, well, I'll tell you the structure of the book. It's 27 meditations that are based on affirmations and meditations that I've used to get over and to deal with and manage all different areas of life. There's nine core chapters within the 12 chapters that have the meditations and then also stories from my life relating to the subject matter. So I talk about stress and anxiety. I talk about self-esteem body confidence, weight loss, loss and grief, abundance, manifesting abundance, uh, gratitude, service, relationships, marriage, all of those things are within these nine chapters and broken up so that you can kind of like just go to whatever chapter you want. You don't even have to read it in order to appreciate and use those meditations to guide you towards a better understanding of whatever you're going through. And the stories from my life are offered, uh, in part, it was a healing exercise for me, for me to be able to tell these stories and finally tell my audience and my people who I am and where I'm coming from to, so that they understand that I didn't hatch from an egg and have this wonderful life. Because you know, I do, you know, when I'm online, it's, like, it's a lot of positivity. I do have five beautiful, healthy children. I do have a beautiful home and land and all these ragtag adopted barn animals that we've, <laughs> we've gathered over the years. Um, so I have all this great stuff, but that wasn't always my story. And if, I, if you would have talked to me 20 years ago, if you would have talked to me 10 years ago, or a little over 10 years ago when I was standing in line for food stamps with my three kids after my failed marriage, it couldn't have ever been anything that I could have even imagined for myself. Mm -hmm. So I'm speaking from the experience of being hurt, of being lost and finding a way within myself with absolutely no resources. I don't have a fantastic education. I don't have a background that would lend itself to um, having a lot of confidence. You know, I didn't have very supportive parents um, or family. So I did it on my own. And when I say I did it on my own, I made a decision myself to seek my own healing. So I surrounded myself with really amazing, supportive people. I surrounded myself with, uh, I fed myself resources like great books and great podcasts and great blogs. And I created a world that allowed me to think and feel and move within it and to manifest the things that would truly bring me happiness. So that's the, my process is in the book and the book is for anyone who feels even a little bit of overwhelm by everyday life, by the news, by, you know, the idea of having to deal with the everyday and not feeling supported. The book is like a, it's like a toolkit to use just to get through it, you know? Mm -hmm. Are there meditations in there as well? Yeah, there's 27 meditations. So oh, I, they can uh, read them themselves. And then I encourage that the, the reader to go and try them on their own. And I promise by the end that the reader will be someone who meditates. Like that is, <laughs> I don't care what kind of like battle you put up or objections, by the end, you will be someone who meditates and you will feel the effects of it. Like when I say you have four minutes to change your life, I, it's like a guarantee. Mm. Call me if it doesn't work, but I don't, you won't call me. 
Oh, yes. That is awesome. So especially, I mean, for anyone who uses the busy excuse, be like, okay, I have four minutes. Like I can, I can do this. <laughs> yeah, you do. It's like an order. It's like me pointing my fingers, wagging my finger. At you. you have four minutes to change your life. Yes. So um, before we wrap up, I do want to ask you, because I gr actually grew up on a farm and I know that you have some farm animals yourself. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me a little bit more about your farm quick? I have, oh, it's such a sad farm. It's a, <laughs> it's a little tiny, it's a, an old horse farm in New Jersey. It's only eight acres. And I have uh, goats, chickens, pigs, two pigs, uh, two ducks, and three barn cats. Oh. Um, they're all rescues. Uh, except for the chickens. The chickens are not rescues. We had to get good chickens that would actually lay eggs. The rescues tend to be old, but we have rescued a lot of chickens. Uh, but we, it's like a little ragtag bunch of rescue animals. My dream is to have like my own little sanctuary here with, with llamas and emus and all the things. Um, and that's part of my, I think, therapy too, is just being constantly connected to animals and nature and just being around that energy and appreciating their spirit has taught me a lot about life. Mm, yes. I know I'm, I'm a big animal lover myself, but we have found we cannot do uh, chickens we, and goats. They do not last very long on our farm with, we have some stray wolves and things that oh, were coming no. through. So that put an end to it. My mom was very devastated because the chickens, a weasel got in. And so we have learned that is a no-go down yeah. in Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, that's rough. Yes. So I want to know where people can kind of purchase the book and where is the best spot to kind of see you online or if people want to know more about you online. I would love for them to visit me at bexlife, bexlife.com slash book. Uh, that is my little book place on my website and they can find all my social media links there to connect with me. I'm at Bex Life all over the internet. I'm obsessed with the internet. I think it is God's gift. I love it. I love communicating <laughs> with everyone. So if you say hello, I will say hello back. <laughs> and uh, when they go to bexlife.com slash book, they will be able to find links to buy the book and they'll also be able to uh, click to or fill out a form to get two amazing bonuses. And I say they're amazing because I worked so hard almost to the point of tears on these bonuses for them. <laughs> one is my 21 day soul cleanse, which is an amazing step-by-step -step 21 day guide to rid yourself of all like the muck in your life and energetic and metaphysical and physical. And then also uh, my turned on find your light series, which is 14 extended interviews with amazing thought leaders and a 60 some odd page workbook. I just finished it this morning of all their contributions and uh, their work. So it's, it's really, really good. It's good. Yes, definitely <laughs> worth it. <laughs> so then what does peaceful power mean to you? Ah, oh, peaceful power. Okay. So I guess it's, I feel like I, um, I, exemplify that. I think that I'm someone who's very powerful in the, the way that I am someone who makes decisions for myself. I make the decision every day to live life, to be happy. I make the decision to live life like I mean it, as Chris Carr instructed me to do <laughs> a long time ago. Live life like you mean it. And the peace is always knowing that I have a place to that I'm fully supported and I have a place of peace and calm that's available to me in all moments, no matter what's going on around me. So I can find peace in the midst of chaos, no matter what. And that is something that I think, I mean, I love the name of your, your podcast, Peaceful Power, because I think that that's something that people should, and I hate that word should, but I'll use it, um, should 
try to find because peace is a good thing. It doesn't mean relaxed and, and passive. It mm -hmm. means that you are centered and that you are connected. And in that you find infinite power. Mm. Yes. I love that. That is a great definition. And then now finally my wrap up question. I always like to have my guests throw out the weekly challenge. So what weekly challenge would you like to give the listeners this week? I'm going to give them my morning routine that I want them to try. And it only takes like 60 seconds. I promise you, <laughs> you have to do it before you even go to the bathroom. And I have a mama five bladder. So you'll understand like I do this quickly. So I wake up and you can say this silently to yourself or with a whisper, but I think a whisper is really effective and powerful. Say thank you three times. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And then name three things, either silently or aloud with a whisper that you're grateful for. And when I really have to go to the bathroom in the morning, it'll be like, I'm grateful for my warm bed and my adorable husband sleeping next to me and five beautiful children. And I get that out of the way. And the last part of the three-part morning practice is to ask yourself a simple question. And that is, how may I be of service today? Mm. And that can be, it can look like, because don't make it too big. You don't have to change the world, but it could be smile at every stranger. Be sure to tell your children something that you absolutely love about them that you haven't told them before. Mm. Uh, reach out to a friend that you haven't talked to in a long time and tell them what they mean to you. So any of like, just be, how may I be of service? And then throughout the day, remember that. So if you start getting off track, frustrated, angry, down on yourself, just stressed out, revisit that, that answer to how may I be of service today and recenter yourself in your purpose for that day. So do that every day for a week and see how you feel. Oh my gosh. I can only imagine how wonderful you're going to feel after doing that. Oh, can't wait to do that one. Uh, well, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to have you on today, Bex. I'm so excited that you said yes and shared all your knowledge and wisdom. Well, I'm so honored to be here. Thank you. And it's like perfect timing because the two-year-old just came in and started yeah. jumping on my lap. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect. Well, everyone go out there and spread your peaceful power. Thank you so much for listening to the Peaceful Power podcast. And if you want more information about today's show, head on over to andreaclawson.com, where you can also find my free guide to working out for your body type. And if you haven't already, I would love it if you could rate and review the show over on iTunes and share it with any of your friends that you think would benefit from hearing the peaceful power message. Thanks again, and go out there and spread your peaceful power.